Hi everybody, Mike Chin here and I'm very excited to be joined by Vice President and General Manager of EA Brightlight, Harvey Elliott. Thanks for joining us, Harvey. Thanks a lot. Uh, I was just wondering if you could tell everybody about yourself and what you do and your role at EA. I run the uh, Brightlight Studio, which is based in Guildford in the UK, and we make games based on a whole load of uh, properties. Some intellectual, uh, sorry, some are our own, and some are licensed in. Our most recent game is Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part Two, and we're just endeavouring a new IP from now. Uh, I'll, I'll, that's one of the questions I was going to ask you about. I might as well uh, start with this question. Uh, EA are known for to kind of support their existing franchises like you know Harry Potter and uh, Need for Speed and the sports franchises that they. But a couple of years ago, they made a real effort to to kind of dive into new IPs like Dead Space, uh, Mirror's Edge, you know Dante's Inferno. I was just wondering like. What, what kind of an effort do EA make to, to make IPs and the, the risks they, new IPs and the risks they, they come with? Yeah, I mean, EA is very much focused around making great games. And uh, often in many cases, there's a license or a product that already exists that would benefit from becoming a video game. Uh, and in many cases, they don't exist at all, so we need to make them up. And I think EA is passionate about all IP in equal measure, really. And it's just about what will make a great game a great game experience. So... Yeah, you mentioned a few of my favourites. Dead Space and Mirror's Edge are phenomenal games, and it's it's really refreshing to have a company that's so ready to embrace a new IP as much as a you know as an established license. Dead Space Two actually is is a game that I've just finished. I, I I literally finished it last night. Not an easy game to play when you when you don't like jumping all the while. But uh, everybody's like waiting for Mirror's Edge Two and stuff. I was wondering, does it does it depend on like the the team how they feel about the game or how it performs, or is it a combination of both? It's a whole combination of things. I mean, I don't know, I couldn't comment on Mirror's Edge 2 specifically, but no. I love the first one like a lot of people. Yeah. Uh, but it, it always comes down to whether we, as you know, for any game in general, whether we believe that we could do a better job or, a, or an exciting job the next time around, that there's something new for the player that we haven't explored or experienced, um, and that you know, the fans are going to want it. And there's, there's those criteria as much as the team's passion to bring something to market and make it happen. So... Um, as a fan, I'd love to see a new one. I've got no idea if they're doing no. that. Let's dive into the to the the Bath of Young Game Designers, which which is in association with EA. And I was I was wondering if we could talk about young people getting into the industry and how uh, Bright Light Studios and EA search for new young talent, how they recruit them, how they look for them. Um, I mean, the games industry is obviously one you have to be really passionate about to be part of, and you know you either play a lot of games or you're you know a real fan of the sort of the experiences you get from them and a lot of it sort of a lot of the games industry started out of the uk and um if we look at the sort of ea heritage here companies like bullfrog were acquired by yeah. ea in the 90s we had a uk-based studio and kind of from that and a number of other uh, businesses a whole development community expanded in the uk what's happened more recently is a lot of those people and talent have moved across to North America or other studios and many of them when they're in EA and a lot with all the other companies out there but I think what we realized is the homegrown talent is amongst the best in the world and I'm using the UK as my homegrown base here yeah. I, I think we should be finding you know the new up-and-coming stars of the future and bringing in fresh people to the industry so 
Baffle Young Game Designers is is one way to do that, and it's it's really about showing what making games is all about, um, giving an experience to young people, and you know getting them to start thinking about designing your game. And it it's a really nice workshop, and it's got a really good process to it, and a phenomenal prize at the back end. I'm sure um, you and I realise that uh, to get into the games industry, you don't have to just like program. There's so many different areas. You can be a creative director. You can be, you know, a com- communications manager. The idea that this young game designers BAFTAs award is just about coming up with an idea for a game. Not you don't have to make it, but just coming up. I think that's such a a, a nice step towards getting young people to make a game. I don't know what your opinion on that is. Yeah, I mean, we we deliberately designed it to have teams of three. Um, and the reason we wanted teams was it is unusual or virtually unheard of that a game these days is made without working with somebody else. So yeah. immediately started with a teamwork mentality. But it, exactly as you say, so many different disciplines make a game. It's, you know, whether it's a, you're great at writing and you can do design, you want to go into management and, you know, scheduling and tasking, if you, if you can code and write software, if you're an artist and animate. I mean, there are disciplines for everyone, really, to... Mm to follow and the idea of the, the the young game designers competition was to get teams of people with different skills to work together on a shared project which is exactly how it happens in in the real game industry mm. I was, when you, you was talking about how it's such a collaborative process the, the first thing i thought was minecraft what was made by one person i was like that lucky guy that sold like 20 million i couldn't believe that i don't know you... well yeah almost unheard of i think oh, I... yeah it's phenomenal yeah yeah. yeah, but um, uh, and another question I was going to ask you is like, do you guys run any internships for young people or, or talent development programs? Not necessarily to take them on, but to learn them, to experience them. We don't do um, interns in our UK-based studios at the moment, although we are uh, looking to tighten some partnerships with universities just to try and um, help shape future talent. Mm. Um, it's more through events such as the Young Game Designers that we're we're trying to reach out a bit more. And the, and the reason we wanted to partner with BAFTA was they have such a broad reach and an, an appeal, um, you know, sort of the industry mark of quality. It's a phenomenal association to have. And we can talk to and work with so many more people through that partnership than, you know, two or three people who are lucky to come into the studio each year. I'd rather work with hundreds and thousands of people and hopefully build a big talent pool for the future. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I, I, when you was talking about um, bringing it back to the to the UK as well, it, it, and I agree with you how you know the British game design has kind of gone away a little bit, like from the days of Populous and and even earlier than that. And and, and now you know this is a, an effort to try and get it back because you know it, the tax break that Britain didn't get a couple of years ago, just before the general election. How much do you fight for these tax breaks, or do you do anything towards them, or do you wish you could? No, we definitely fight for them. I mean. Yeah. You know, EA is a global company, and so we have a lot of choice about where we get to develop our games. Sure. I'm very passionate about the UK development, environmentally yeah. development industry. And yes, yeah, so EA is very much active in, in lobbying hard for uh, tax breaks and support. I mean, really anything that helps get support into the industry. I mean, we look at comparative industries like uh, film, for example, and there's a lot of support that those groups get. Well, our industry is as big and as important now. And it's a shame that we don't have the support that uh, that industry really deserves. And ultimately, with global companies, you can choose to make your game anywhere in the world. And I want that choice to be the UK. And the more expensive it gets in the UK relative to other nations, the harder that becomes. 
uh, another question uh, I'm sure a lot of young people ask this but I'll ask you as well if, if you could give some advice for a 14 year old who just I want to make games like that, that's his goal in life uh, what, what advice would you give him or her there are three things I think um, the first is decide what you're passionate about and continue to be passionate about it you know if you love game design then really study it really look at what you know which games are successful and why look at the reviews of product and see what people are picking out look at you know look at the elements that resonate with people so you sort of develop that passion Um, focus on the right things in your your immediate studies you know it's amazing Uh, there are a lot of courses out there that are game design courses at university and they're not always a perfect match for what we actually need as a skill set coming into the industry you know good strong english skills maths science you'd be amazed at how important those are to have as core Mm. skills so choose the right things now and then the third thing is persistence you know if you want to be working in the games industry you need to be contacting and talking to companies in the games industry and asking what to do back to young game designers is a great way of looking at industry and understanding the different roles to play and just be persistent with that so um you know be passionate Focus on the right subjects now, which are really the core subjects, and be persistent to get your way in. Maybe you can talk about uh, your uh, the, the way that you got into the industry, Harvey. I don't know. It, it, like, I'm sure everybody's path into the industry is very different, but maybe you could just uh, talk about how you got in there. Yeah, well, exactly. I mean, as you say, everyone got in a different way. And mine, um, I was of the, uh, I'm, I'm 39 now. So uh, my generation was 10 years old when the ZX Spectrum came out. Wow, yeah. And uh, my dad brought it home, and I have three brothers, and we set it up, and we were playing. There were two games. There was one called Penetrator, which was basically a side-scrolling shoot-em-up, and, <laughs> yeah. uh, and The Hobbit, which took ages to load the, uh, yeah. the graphics. It was a graphical adventure. And we played those two to, to death. And I remember the, the Penetrator game, there was a level editor in it, which was really unusual, and we loaded in one of the opening levels, and I, well, I did, and I went right to the very end of it, and I drew a huge wall, and I gave it to my brother to play, and said, oh, I'll go and see if you can beat my high score, and he'd go along, and he'd be brilliant, navigating all the little space, and then there'd be this wall, and he had just crashed, and so, oh, well, sorry. And I think from that, it got me excited about <laughs> what you could do with games, and um, kind of from there, I just, I just carried on with my normal studies, been a fan of gaming ever since that moment, I think, and yeah. desperate to get into the industry. And really, I did my, my background at university was business and finance. I ended up working for a um, a company just making a sort of electronics in uh, for sort of a, a summer internship, as it were, and got more and more excited about technology. Uh, I ended up out of university setting up my own retail shop, selling computer games, building PCs, uh, mm-hmm. and then from there found a path into Acclaim Entertainment, who unfortunately are now defunct, uh, and yeah. slowly worked my way into development. So it's kind of a reverse path. I started as a consumer, <laughs> and then I became a retailer, then I became a publisher, and now I'm a developer. So yeah. I've learned the industry backwards. But it's good, though, that you've got all those different experiences. I mean, uh, I think it's a benefit to, to, to Brightlight and EA. That they've got somebody who, who can relate to being at retail, because... You know, some people who have never worked in retail don't don't know what it's like, and I, I think that's a it's a huge benefit. And also, getting into the industry by you know making your brother frustrated with all your levels is is a is a cool idea as well. Yeah, so I, I was going to talk about like what games, uh, what are your favourite games that you've worked on and why? I'm sure you've worked on many. You mentioned the Harry Potter series, um, but is there anyone that that you specifically just enjoyed and and why? I mean, you mentioned the Harry Potter series. I've loved working on, and it's. It's been a phenomenal 
it's, it's been a phenomenon in fact the whole, the whole yes, Harry yeah, Potter franchise um, yeah. um, just sort of getting to work with the people who make the films and getting behind the scenes of everything and putting so much passion into those games that's been a huge highlight um, I worked with Criterion on Burnout 3 uh, I was executive oh, right. on it for EA and that was phenomenal. I mean, that's, that was revenge. Is that Burnout Revenge? No, right? it was before that. So it was the ah. first of the Burnout series that EA published. Okay. And um, I love Burnout One and Two. And actually, I was at acclaim when those were being published. And mm. um, I was hugely excited when we got uh, Burnout coming into EA. And so I worked on Burnout Three and the passionate team of people building such a stunning game for PlayStation Two. It was just you know it was ahead of its time, and it I think yeah. it led to a new franchise there. Um, so that was huge for me. Um, and actually, little things. We did the, um, well, two more products. We made a series of books for the NDS called Flips. And it was literally a book reader on the DS. And um, I got to meet Bernard Cribbins, who's a bit of a hero of mine from my childhood. And um, But it was really good. It was just it was finding a way for kids to read on the, the DS, which I enjoyed. Um, and then last, we did, did a load of products with a, a partnership with Hasbro. And that was taking, again, you know, while we're not playing games at home, we used to play Connect 4 and Monopoly and all those games, and I got to create digital versions of all of them. So um, kind of meeting my heroes in a fun way, so I enjoyed all of those. Bernie Crimmins is the, he was the Wombles, right? The storytelling voice in the exactly. Wombles, is that right? Yes, and wow. a million more things you wouldn't realise. Uh... Yeah, I'm sure. That's a lot. The thing with a lot of these voice actors, they're in so many things, and you don't realise until you kind of read it up. So, yeah, Burning Cribbins. Uh, other questions I've got for you, Harvey. I mean, it, it, uh, what games have, uh, uh, do you enjoy playing? I mean, like, everybody likes to hear about um, what people are playing. Like, what are some of your favorite types of games or specific games or anything like that? So I think I'm generally game agnostic. So I'm, uh, <laughs> I love every kind of game. Yes, right. You know, what I love is a game that's fun, engaging, draws me in. Um, mm. I just finished Portal 2 uh, ah. before last and... Um, phenomenal, brilliant writing. Yeah. Really love. I love a mental challenge. There was a little bit of that in there, and um, I love the song at the end. So yeah. you know, little things like that really grab me. Um, back in the drive at the moment um, is Mass Effect Two. Um, so I've been putting quite a lot of time onto that one, just kind of gearing up for the next. Have, have you not finished it, or have you? It's like a second playthrough. Second or? playthrough, just. Ah, oh, okay. Yeah. Trying a different personality type and seeing how that suits yeah. me. Um, it's quite hard making the uh, the wrong choices, but uh, I like the idea. See, I do that. The, the first I've only played through it once, but I play the absolute renegades in my first go. I love it. I look because you press the right trigger and you smash them through a window. So I love doing that. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know if that's speaks... the first right trigger I pressed. I can tell you, it was it was a bad moment. For me. <laughs> yeah, but it's uh, a great game. And uh, and back on Portal Two, I just wanted to talk about that. Uh, it, it, it's a great game to make you feel like a genius. I don't know how you feel, like, you know, when you solve a puzzle, you feel so clever. Oh, it's just you superb. Know? I mean, I loved, I just loved the um, the way the script actually really supported it and drove you into the puzzles and challenges. And then yeah. um, I had a couple where I was, you know, I was sitting up really late at night and I was just going, I can't solve it, I can't solve it. <laughs> I turned it off, came back the next morning and just, I think it, and I just suddenly came with a solution and that is really rewarding. And yeah. uh, it deserves all the praise it gets because it's a phenomenal game. Have you played the the, the co-op yet? Or? Just a little. Um, I've uh, 
I've got to find the right buddy to play with. Yes, uh, that's the thing. I, I, I suggest playing it with somebody who hasn't played it before. Yes, uh, I think so. I uh, found that exactly right. I've, I found I've been quite frustrating for a couple of people. <laughs> yeah. A bit better than me. But yeah, now I've got, there's a guy at work who said he'd, um, he hasn't played card yet either. So I think between us, we're going to have a, a good old session on that pretty soon. If you could record the audio for the conversations you will have, I'm sure it'll be funny. It's like, oh no, I know what it is. No, I don't. That's that's <laughs> it's five minutes of that basically. That um, right. It's a it's a great game. So, um, what are the biggest advantages and drawbacks of working such for such a big company? You know, EA is is huge, as you said. It's it's global. Um, the, I mean, there's, I'm sure there's more pros than cons. But if you could talk about some of them, sure. I mean. The pros are, you know, the company is huge, and like you say, but it's it wants to be successful and it wants great games, and it really feels like the organisations sort of organised around drawing out that creative skill and expertise. And I remember when I first came into EA for my interview, actually, I went to they had a lovely building in Chertsey in the south of England, and um, having been at Acclaim, which which was a great publisher, but not on the scale of EA and you walk into that building and you realize just how seriously EA takes the business of making great games. And, um, I've not met, um, as many smart people in one place outside of EA. So that's there and that's phenomenal. You know, the sort of the challenges are EA is a big company and you've got a lot of, um, products just internally to compete with, let alone getting out the industry as a whole. So, um, Figuring out your niche and carving your way through that product makes to make sure your product has every chance of success is is something you have to learn and just sort of navigating the company. Um, but like I say, the people are just so incredibly smart. And if you if you're tackling a problem and you don't know how to tackle it, there are so many people willing to help just within the walls. So, mm. um, but you know that's that's the nature of business. And you know, huge companies have. Uh, a lot of things they want to get done a certain way or, or right and uh, like I say it's nice to have it geared up to support the products I, I, I haven't thought of that, about that before like EA's got so it's so big that it, it, it creates its own competition in a way you know you have to be very careful to make you know a, a game like going back on Dead Space a survival well some say survival horror game and then if somebody else makes uh, a survival horror game it's going to compete with its own game I'm sure that's a a tough like racing games like Need for Speed and the Burnout series. Uh, I'm, I'm sure that's uh, it's 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 nice, but at the same time frustrating, right? Well, yeah, I think you just have to figure out the it makes you it makes you think a little bit more really about the the competition you're going to have. And the good thing about the internal products is you you understand more about what they're doing than than anyone else could from the outside. And so you can carve a niche for yourself uh, pretty quickly. But it's just something you have to navigate. Um, but what it you know what it leads to is you get all these brilliant people at EA sort of contributing to your game and making it better and you know kind of offering you advice and guidance and um, it's down to you as the team to sort of decide if that's what you want to do or take it your own way and um, yeah it's a it's a narrow path you just have to carve it for yourself really. So when you work for a claim, uh, uh, sadly a claim's gone under now. But have you played uh, the new Mortal Kombat because a claim were known for. For publishing the Mortal Kombat. Yeah, I I haven't played the new one. I I have a sort of a I have a soft spot for Mortal Kombat three was my um was the pinnacle for me of that series. Really? Like it's two for me. I love two. You know, I think it was probably Yeah, two was really good as well actually. I think, <laughs> I, think I kinda of felt like after three that was it for me and, and I didn't want to go yeah. back into them and there was I know there was one a couple of years ago that didn't grab me in the same way and I 
it's hard when you look back on on a series that you really grow up with. You have to yeah. do something exceptional for them to come back to life, and and that one didn't feel quite right for me, so I haven't I haven't dived into it. If you're recommending, I should though, I'll give it another go. Oh, the the the, the brand new Mortal Kombat, uh, not the Mortal Kombat versus DC, the brand new one that's recently come out is great, and I, I'm a big fan of two. Uh, less of three, but it's still a good one, uh, and uh, it it is like kind of back to basics, ridiculous Mortal Kombat. So I urge you to to give it a go, Harvey. I, I think you'll enjoy it. Yeah, I have also slowed down a fair bit since then. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. How... Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, don't go online. Don't, like <laughs> that's that's just a big no-no. Like we fight in games in general for me now. Uh, but I'm I'm sure like the, they've got so much stuff in the new Mortal Kombat. So I, I, oh, I, I urge. Okay, you got me convinced. Yeah, I'm going, I've sold it. I'm working for them, really, so I've sold it. <laughs> uh, now, I, I, I don't know if you can answer some of these questions, but I'll, I'll ask you them and and uh, and see what you think. Uh, EA have, have recently acquired PopCat Games for a lot of money, let's say. Um, do you think this is a way to target more casual audience? I mean, EA does have some of the casual ones with the, the Sims franchise, and uh, I, I was wondering if... Um, if PopCat are going to help them, or you just do you know anything about that internally? Or no, I mean I've, I've read everything you've read, and um, obviously had a little bit of internal discussion. Um, it's funny actually, just as it was all all happening, and I, was, I I looked on their website, and you know, the announcement went out. I went to the PopCat website, and I just realised I pretty much played all of their games and enjoyed yeah. them, and go back to them over and over. And actually, I think that's the reason EA bought them more than anything else. They just make phenomenally good games. They do, and yeah. I think we have a lot of. Uh, different games for that same sort of audience, but PopCap just they're brilliant at it, and I think that's it. You know, we we buy people who we think are great and can add to our organisation, add to the business, and uh, PopCap are definitely one of those. They're, they are brilliant. Um, Plants vs Zombies and Peggle are just addictive. Uh, yeah. I just love that. Did you so, just can't get out of that one. Put a word in, Harvey. Make some more of that <laughs> stuff. Uh, and uh, another question I was going to ask you is about the online pass. Now, EA have kind of started this this uh, online pass, uh, and I was wondering if you could talk about has it been effective uh, effective for EA, uh, what sort of backlash they've experienced? Yeah, I don't have a lot of detail on it. I mean, I um, I think it's been been really good, and I think you know, the the danger of an online pass is if it's just there to um, farm out stuff that people have already had and, and kind of if you're taking stuff away from a consumer to give it to them then I think it's the wrong thing but the way EA have done it has been brilliant and that it's it's about accessing new fresh content that you know it, it needs to be supported somehow and um, I think it's been a really really good model and I think it's the sort of thing we need in an industry that's moving more and more online uh, you know the, it, it used to be we'd finish our work on a game the day we handed over the gold master and now we're working on them years after release to keep them up to date, live yeah. and fresh. And online pass is one way to keep that that sort of model working. So I think it's really, really good. It's just it's important that companies who are adopting that sort of model really do think about um, what extra content, what new stuff they're bringing to the player, as opposed to taking away from the player before it all starts. Really. I, th- I think uh, a great example. It, it's not an EA game. Sorry, sorry to bring up uh, another game, but LA Noir uh, has done a Rockstar Pass. I don't know if you know much about the Rockstar Pass. Yeah, just a if, little. Uh, I mean, it looks really, really promising. I haven't, uh, LA Noir is one of. I have to go back to. I only, I only had a quick look at it, and I've said it's on my list of games to play. And yeah, uh, I have a slight affliction, which is I really have to finish games before I uh, move on from them. So it slows yeah, me down a yeah. bit. 
Uh, I'm with you there, Harvey. I'm with you there. Yeah, but uh, LA Noir has a, it, 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 for the details of it, like they have different cases in the in the game, and they they release cases um, as DLC. But if you get the online pass, which is like 920 Microsoft points, uh, you get them just automatically. I think, which I think it's exactly the right kind of model. Yeah, it's you know ultimately these games take ages to build, but um, even extra content takes time and investment and energy and. Um, I'm really supportive of that sort of model because ultimately, you know, if you have a great game that you enjoy playing and you love, you want to be able to extend it, and uh, that's one way to enable that. I think another thing with the with the online pass is that you know gamers don't sometimes don't realise that to 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 make a patch to make DLC it does slow down like the possibility of a sequel or a different game they they could be working on, um, and. I mean, I don't. I, I admit to you, Harvey. Right? I, I love the game industry, but I, don't, I can't buy all my games. I have to uh, use Love Film now and again, and it, because you know they're very expensive. But I think online pass is a good medium. Wouldn't you agree? Kind of like, okay, so I rented the game, and if I want to give them more money, I, I can buy an online pass. Yeah, it just you know, there are so many different um, to be all businessy business models around about how um, games are made and funded. And ultimately, you know, is there is a commercial business um, kind of behind the industry, and it's important that people get to experience the games in the right way for them at all sorts of different price points. So, um, as long as it doesn't get too complicated and confusing, as long as we're clear about what you know what you get for the money you, you invest, then I think it's it's great to have these sorts of models. Mm-hmm. Okay, I, I think we've I think we've exhausted the online pass now. <laughs> uh, another question I, I was going to ask you is what what is something this put you on on the spot a little bit, Harvey? But something about uh, about EA that people would be surprised to learn, or in the industry in general, like if you can give us any insight, any background information that they wouldn't expect uh, EA to be doing, or something like that. Yeah, I mean, it's there's there's always things. Uh, what can I say? <laughs> so the, the one thing I think everyone will be surprised by is um, I was reading. You know, we talked about the PopCap acquisition a little bit earlier, and mm. uh, one of the headlines I saw is Pop, PopCap acquired by the Borg. And um, I remember, you know, ten ten years ago or so, I think that's kind of how EA was perceived. And um, John Riccatello has been really passionate. He's our CEO. He's been really passionate about mm. making sure that the teams protect their own identity, that they don't just get folded in and assimilated. You know, we buy companies that we love. You don't buy the company you love to then make them into yourselves. And um, I think people would be really surprised to realize how individual the studios within EA are. Yeah, we're all EA studios, but we have our own personality, our own culture, our own work ethic, our own logos, our own design, our own um, our own everything. And um, you actually join when you join a studio or one of the teams here you're joining a small team that just happens to be part of one of the biggest companies in this industry yeah and um i don't think people will ever really realize that until they work at ea just just how that really is and yeah so um yeah i think i think that would be my surprise for people you'd have to be here to find out for sure but it's it's a company full of individuals and yeah, we all have our own thoughts and personalities and, and desires yeah. and intention, you know. Um, yeah. But I I was thinking when you were talking about that, I was thinking about two K and two K made this kind of effort to 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 kind of make two K Boston or two K you know, Sydney or whatever it was. And they they've gone back to, to kind of like the, the way uh EA uh, is doing it now, just just letting the developers kind of name themselves, create their own brand. I think that's really important, but the, the, it, 
it's interesting how you say it's it's like working for a different job, I guess. You know, if you change uh, from the visceral team to, you know, uh, the, the FIFA team or something, is it pretty much like this is a completely different job with different, you know, workflows and... Yeah, it is. I mean, there are um, there are some commonalities uh, mm. where we have we have a lot of things that our, our, our human resources team do just to make sure that we know, you know, like good job title parity. So we know what someone if we call someone a development director, we know what that job means wherever we are. But in terms of the processes, the development team practices, they are very bespoke to the teams and actually in many cases reflective of the games that you're building. And that's exactly right. I mean, it's it's about getting the personality of the people and the team into the games. And mm. I think that really, really comes through. And, you know, I'm going to nod on to PopCap again for a second. Uh, <laughs> I just love the personality. If you look at the way they write, or if you go to their website and it says, you know, PopCap acquired by EA, here are three things. Uh, we're going to be renaming EA to Poptronic Arts. And, um, you know, it's just really fun yeah. stuff that's not true. But yeah, it's got their personality in it. And that's got to come out of everything because... It'll stop it feeling like homologated stuff. It yeah. feels like you're getting personality and, and creative excellence. So. I do admire when a, when a, a publisher or a developer is, is a lot more transparent um, with how they do things. You know, uh, I think EA uh, over the last uh, few years have have done a great job of of really telling people how you know how, how things are, um, uh, whereas you know other companies other companies don't don't. You, not that they that they're evil or anything, but they don't show as much. You know, they they don't show as much behind the scenes. And I think EA um, do a great job of that. You know, is it is that an effort that you consciously do, or do, does it just happen? Yeah, it's it's you know nothing just happens. It's something we we're deliberate about. I mean, you know, ultimately we're in an industry we want to see successful, and mm. if we can do things that will help the industry grow or succeed, then we're going to do that. Um, knowledge sharing and and so access to other people in EA is a huge deal and um, we'd rather it was out there and making everything better as opposed to hidden and secret and squirreled away somewhere. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, definitely. Yeah. One of my, my favourite uh, developers, I'm, I'm a Rockstar fanboy. Like, I, anything Rockstar, I love. Like, and, um, but they, they don't give you much insight to what they do. They're very private, which frustrates me. Um, but like, it, 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 uh, a friend of mine is a Bioware uh, fanboy, he loves anything Bioware, and it, it's very easy to find out what they do. Uh, and I don't know if you've ever visited Bioware's offices in Canada or, um, or you know, spoke yeah. to any of the people. But you know, have you have you spoke to any of those? I've spoken to a couple of the guys, yes. And yeah. um, Dr. Ray is um, phenomenal <laughs> personality, and yeah, I mean, there are some brilliant people. It's funny, you know, I keep talking about the smart, and brilliant people at EA, and that's. It, those are amongst them, amongst the very best we've got, to be honest. And um, I just like the personality of these these teams. So, mm. I was I was reading. I don't know if you've read the book uh, by Tom Bissell, Extra Lives. Have you read the book? No, I haven't. I'm writing that down. You you are just trying to take up all my spare time, aren't you? Sorry. Yeah, and, and I'll give you a list of games that you should be playing and all this. Um, but it, 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 give it a read. We we interviewed him on our on our blog. Um, and he's bringing out a book with the the new Gears of War. If you buy the limited edition, his book going to come with it. Uh, and he, he talks about how he visited Bioware and how they're like you know they hire writers all the way through the development process, which I think is is brilliant because uh, I'm sure as you know, Harvey, like uh, writers are either brought in very early or very late, 
and they say, you know, here's a game, write a story. And I think that, that that's such a great, um, great process. And do you do the different developers at EA kind of learn from other developers? Do you all get together, or is there some kind of internal, yep. you know, like party or something, or do? Uh, yeah, we have an internal uh, development conference. Uh, which we all send people from each of the studios to, and we um, we agree the agenda a couple of months in advance so we can start preparing our best practices. But it's it's like an internal DevCon, and um, that's exactly the sort of thing we talk about there is great things that work for our games and teams. And the other thing it creates is a, a phenomenal network of people that you know you can call if there's something you're trying to solve and you, you haven't got quite the right way to solve it. So... Mm-hmm. Um, Yes. Uh, okay, so some more questions. I don't know how much time you've got, Harvey. Are you okay yeah, for time? Yeah, great. Okay. Uh, uh, and these are like these are the the bottom of the list questions now. So if you if you can't have any answers, if you don't have any answers for this, but please just say so. I just, uh, but... I'll answer almost anything. <laughs> <laughs> oh, right, okay, okay. So uh, Mirror's Edge Two. No. Um, <laughs> Except that. Uh, is the industry still male dominated? I had this question uh, sent to me. Uh, by uh, uh, Angela from First Light. Is the industry still male-dominated? We have Amy Henning, uh, who works on Uncharted, Jade Raymond on Assassin's Creed. Do you think it's it's still a male... It's, it's a, a, a boy club? Uh, I wouldn't call it a boy club, but it is still very male-dominated. A lot less so than a few years ago. Um, but I think that's largely because the games that were being built you know, five, ten years ago were really male dominated games you know most of them were targeted towards a a boy audience or a male audience and therefore if that ignites someone's passion in working in the industry then that's the sort of game that would have to draw them in whereas now if you look at the sort of games that are being built um whether it's sort of something on on a social experience or on mobile or franchises like the sims which is a really you know really significant female community in fact more female gamers than male then I imagine those sorts of games are capturing a different audience's imagination and creating their passions. So I think it's just going to be a matter of time that mm. the industry's appeal has already started to broaden and it will just take a while for that to sort of come through into the talent coming up. Yeah. Um, so it, it's, we've just got to wait, basically. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, it's wait and not be narrow-minded in the type of games we build because the broader the appeal, then you know, that will lead to our future talent as much as it will game sales. Yeah. 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 Uh, uh, you'd be pleased to know that my my girlfriend's one of her favourite games at the moment is Need for Speed Hot Pursuit. Like she, uh, she every time she plays it, she swears a lot. I, I don't like to go near her, but she she loves it. So you, uh, I'm sure you'd be, EA would be happy to. They're bringing the female demographic there a little bit. Um, some other questions I had for you: Battlefield Three. I've got to ask you about Battlefield Three, Harvey. Yeah. Um, I'm sure you're excited, like we all are. I don't know how you feel about first-person shooters, but. It's going against the the behemoth that is Modern Warfare 3. How do you feel that it's going to perform? Uh, it's not in my division. <laughs> Absolutely everything I've heard about it, and yeah. I've seen a few demos on it, has all been totally phenomenal. Yeah. And if there was a team out there to bring down Call of Duty, it's our team and DICE. I think they are the world leaders at this. And uh, you look at their their game catalogue and the products they've built and everything you read about that game is true. So, um, sorry to an EA spokesperson having said <laughs> yeah. speculative stuff. Um, I think it's it's going to be phenomenal and um, it's not my division, so I'm going to be a passionate fan of whatever yeah. the best in the, the genre is at Christmas and that's the one I'm going to be playing. But um, 
I have almost no doubt that it's going to be Battlefield that's going to win that in terms of the you know the best game to have. Yeah, I mean, like the, the community that on on our blog on on uh, Veteran Gamers, we we we're a big fan of Bad Company Two. We're a huge fan of Bad Company Two. But the, we also get a lot of, you know, Call of Duty players. And uh, and here's my theory, Harvey. If you wanna if you wanna hear it for a little bit, I think Modern Warfare 3 will sell better. But I don't think it'd be critically uh, a, a, as as a well received as a Battlefield game. I think Battlefield 3 um, will really win over some of the the involved people in the industry. And I think that's kind of more important that they're they're building more of a a cult following than Modern Warfare 3. I don't, I don't know how you feel, if you think that I'm right or I'm completely off my head, but I, I really think that they're going to make a dent in Call of Duty, but I don't think they'll they'll outsell it outright. I mean, yeah, Call of Duty's had a phenomenal success in yeah. the last few years, so it's a huge target to take down. Um, mm. I'd love, love us to win on both counts, but I think it's most the most important thing for me is that um, people see it as a, as a really justified and a better alternative to Call of Duty and um, if you get the game right the sales will come it's not you don't build the game for the sales you build the game you think it's going to be the best game you can build and mm. if you get the right experience then it'll sell phenomenally well so um, yeah. yeah I just honestly, I've got so much revere for the team over in uh, in Stockholm that yeah. uh, I have every confidence in them I, I mean, the worst that can happen is that we have two great military first person oh, What a disaster. You know, that, that's like, the, oh, no, we have to play both of them, which I'm sure we will anyway. Exactly. You know, so it's, it's not going to be a, a, big, uh, a big loss. Um, yeah, and uh, the, the kind of the last question I have on my list here, the Wii U, uh, a new console that was released, uh, well, sorry, announced, uh, not released, announced uh, E3. Uh, are you excited for it? Is EA excited for it? Uh, you probably can't talk about any any games that you're working on it or anything but uh, do you plan to support it is there some buzz about it yeah there is a huge buzz about it i think um when nintendo came out with the wii i think everyone sort of looked at it slightly funny they tilted their head to the side and, and squinted and yeah. went mm, what does this do and yeah. um they really reprogrammed us all into understanding what that was about and the games that my kids play i've got you know growing up in the games industry it's hard to have families and things but i have two kids and yeah. And the games that we we hurdle around together is is the uh, we really huddle around the, the Wii and the mm. those games and the Wii U just looks like an extension of that sort of brilliance. I think it's it's just phenomenal the way they they have a different approach on the industry now. And ultimately, I used to love the arms race between you know which which of the two consoles will be the best. Is it the Mega Drive or the SNES? Is it the yeah. you know, Saturn or the PS? <laughs> which which one was you? Was you a Sega or a Nintendo uh, guy? Nintendo. I did. Okay. I did like the Sega systems. Um, yeah. It got a bit silly when there was a game and there was a claim that made it. I think it was Nightwatch for the 32x Mega CD that needed. Right. I think it even needed the Menacer gun. So you basically had to have your your Mega Drive, the 32x thing, which not many people bought, the Mega CD drive through because it was on a disc. And I think it supported the Menacer light gun. It was like the combination of all the peripherals that no one's going to own the full set of. Um, yeah, I don't think that sold so well. But uh, no, the raw—it <laughs> was the SNES for me. Although to be honest, the Japanese or UK versions, I did have an American one, but it was just a bit ugly. Um, but yeah, so for that one, that was—it was definitely the the SNES. And then the next one, really PlayStation One, amazing, captured everything. PS Two, um, leaning a little bit, you know, 
this generation, I love the PS3 and I love the tech they put into that machine, but I'm, I'm spending more time on my Xbox at the moment. Yeah, uh, I'm the same as well. But the, the PlayStation has so many great um, exclusive uh, games. Would you agree? Like oh, Uncharted and, and, and like, I'm sure you're excited for like, the, um, the Last Guardian and things like that. They, they really... They really great. support yeah, their fans. Yeah. It's funny, you know, I'll quite happily switch. I play, I play for a couple of months on the 360, and then I switch to playing on the, the PS3. And actually, you know, interesting, my Mirror's Edge replay, I'm playing this, I played it first, first time through on 360, and now I'm playing it on PS3. And, yeah, I'm quite happy with either of them, to be honest. They're both cool. Um, but what I like about kind of the, the, the Wii U is it, it sort of, as with the Wii, they've stepped out of the arms race and instead trying to come up with something new and different to change the way the games play and it's those innovations that are getting me really excited mm. yeah, I mean, it, it, it's, uh, it, it was a little bit confusing there they announced the Wii U I don't, I don't know if you saw the press conference but they, it kind of looked like a controller but uh, as a gamer I look at it and kind of go eh Right, but I'm sure like a developer would look at it and go, "Oh, you could do this and this." Is there has there been talks like that? You know, like you could, yeah. you could play chess on it or something. Yeah, I just yeah. came up with a chess game idea, but uh, I'll write that <laughs> one down. But no, did, yeah. um, you do. You look at that. You look at all the things it's got packed into it, and you know. So the the biggest mistake any developer will make is to put every feature and functionality into one game. Uh, that would be a mistake, but. It's got so many different ways to enable, you know, styles of game and play. And we've, we've, we're working on a new, uh, you'll never get it out of me, IP. And um, <laughs> uh, I love what we you can do. I don't know if we'll make it for that platform, but it's, right. it's kind of got me inspired about different ways to play a game experience. And that's what, that's what I respect Nintendo for, is they bring out something different and you just look at your industry in a different way. And that's what you need to stay fresh and excited. And, you know, why people stay in the games industry for so long is, is exactly that. It's, it's, mm. You're in a technology industry with so much progress and movement all the time. And um, companies like Nintendo, when they come in and innovate, they look at, you look at every game you're making differently because of it and not just the ones for their platform. Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting, really, this push for like a different way to play. I, I, this, I, myself, I prefer to sit down and, and hold a controller. But you know, there is obviously a massive audience for Connect and you know the Wii and the Wii U now and the the PS Vita that's coming out. The, these different ways to interact with your games. I mean, surely that's that's really exciting for for as a developer standpoint. You know. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. I, I like the fact that they're not all about the same thing because mm. it gives you choice, and choice is fun. Exactly. Uh, I, I've got one final question for you, Harvey. This is really my left field question. A friend of mine, right? Big FIFA fan, massive FIFA fan, right? And you know how you can pick your last name to be to be picked, right, on the commentary, right? And he, 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 I know you can pull some strings, Harvey. Can you get the the last name Marsh, right, on the list of last names? I know, I know you know people. I know they're they're on your mobile phone list, right? Just get it sorted for me, and he'll be a happy bunny because he keeps bugging me about it. They don't have the name Marsh. They they have Marshall. Oh. Right, I've given up on my my last name is Chin, right? And I I know my last name's Silly, right? And I've given up, right? The closest I get is Chaney, right? But Marsh, you know. So call some numbers, Harv. I'll see what yeah. I can do. <laughs> get it sorted. Uh, uh, that that's really it. All, all the questions I have. I don't know if there's anything else you want to talk about. Um, yeah, I think the only thing I'd do is I'd love to put in a little plug for that back to young game designer because you know kind of back to where we started in our conversation. This is. Um, we need new talent in the industry, and this is one of the ways that people can learn about the industry, how it is we make games. There's a whole 
bucket load of information on the website. Uh, so bafta.org slash YGD and um, go there and, and learn stuff. And it's um, that would be my little plug for the end of this. Okay, so Harvey, thank you so much for talking to us. And hopefully when you kind of announce this new IP, you'll come back and talk to us again and when you can talk more about the game and, and uh, let us know how you're getting on with it. I'd be really happy to. Thanks a lot. This conversation. This conversation is over. Is over.